0: Well, we are back in full swing with our live face-to-face events again. And this week I've picked out some of the choicest pieces from our event on the 11th of October. You'll get the full range of companies, large insurers, new insurers, startups, scale-ups, old friends and some new ones. And in a reflection of our truly global nature these days, four of our speakers have travelled in from outside the UK. Well, welcome back. London truly is open for business. Matthew Grant here, Partner at INSTEC London. If this is your first INSTEC podcast, well, keep on listening. You'll find a lot of great insights coming up this week. And to our regular friends, please keep telling us what you think. Podcasts are a great idea, but we've no idea who is listening, what you like, or even what you don't like, unless you tell us directly. Look out on the website, www.instec.london, or sign up for our emails to find out the events we've coming up for the rest of the year. Next up, face-to-face event in London is a 9th of November, supported by iSci. And then I'm speaking on stage at PIR, live from and in California on the 15th of November. And then details coming soon for the 30th of November, back in London, for another live evening event sponsored by S&P. Meanwhile, our algorithmic underwriting report came out last week. And on the 2nd of November, look out for the release of our report and the accompanying live chat digital event, exploring cryptocurrencies and insurance free for now, but not forever. Now, on with this week's episode, and we successfully tested a new idea for this last event, having a guest interviewer. So first up, you're gonna hear Robin Mertens talking to Todd Russell, CEO and co-founder of E2Value. Todd kindly sponsored this event. Then you're gonna to hear Todd interviewing Mark Cunningham, CEO and co-founder of property data provider, Wendfresh.
1: Todd, thank you. Thank you for sponsoring this. Um, We we appreciate You've been a good friend of ours for many years. I call E2Value a provider of web-based property valuation solutions, as well as providing collateral value monitoring needs. It's a service by which insurance or banks can get a property valuation or property valuation report with just an address. And you do that across residential, commercial farms, ranches, log cabins, I saw, basically everything. Uh, and that's offered as a soft, that's software as a service, and customers who want it have to pay a subscription service. So, you're the founder. What, what was the genesis of it?
2: Well, I just got frustrated because I would see many, many multi-million dollar homes over and over again, and I got kind of sick of seeing the same house, and thought we could automate this process. And if that was a multi-million dollar house, it must be really interesting what people see when they're seeing smaller houses. So I thought we could just build a better mousetrap.
1: Are you doing property values or are you doing rebuilding costs?
2: There's market value and then there's about four different rebuilding costs depending on the marketplace you're in. Uh, but you kind of need to know all of those things to get that number.
1: What is it that insurers or, and or banks need from you to be able to do, be good at insurance?
2: Well, I grew up as an underwriter, and in theory there was this, you needed to know the exposure to charge the rate. And if you don't know the exposure, your rate will never be what you need. And so that was the idea that, uh, you know, you needed to know what you insured, and then you could build a proper risk management plan and pricing plan after that. How long have you been going? 21 years.
1: You're no spring chicken. I mean, the business is no spring chicken. And then... um, But but I do know you're an innovator, and I do know that you won't be providing the same service that you were providing you know, 20 years ago. So how how have you innovated? What have you got recently that has improved the range of your service?
2: Well, it's funny because if you look over 21 years, it's really been a lot of different businesses over 21 years as the market kept shifting. And you can only give the technology that the people, you know, the companies can accept, the policy systems can accept. And you have to build to that policy system capability and what people have. And it's gotten accelerated over the last few years. And at the one point that I think we've gotten to now is, you know, there's a, there's a disbelief between an application and even pre-fill or what you get from the multiple data sources. And so we have a new tool called Inspect Connect that allows an agent, broker, underwriter, someone in the buying process and the selling process to reach out with just a quick text to a homeowner, to a property manager, to a broker, and say, could you answer a few questions about this property, maybe take a picture, maybe ask a few questions, things like, do you have a pool, do you have a dog, and take and send it in. And the whole process takes about three minutes. And you can put it at the front of the sales process, the middle, or in renewals.
1: Is that all? I, think, I suspect you've got more than one innovation to tell us about.
2: We also work with Willis Towers Watson for the structure insurance score where they put their intellectual property on top of ours to basically score a house for if there was a loss. You know, how would it perform with fire weather or or water damage? And then next week, there's another announcement coming out of another company that's put some of their technology on top of ours as well.
1: I think in this room, we get what you're doing. We get why you're doing it. But but does the industry as a whole... Are you being embraced or are you still having to fight those battles?
2: You know, I heard a nice podcast on Instec London uh, last week. And one of the, the gentlemen was talking about there are leaders and there are followers. And if you get the right audience, you get some people who are leading. Um, it's an easy conversation. And I want to give a shout out to my friend, Mr. Bob Frady, who is sitting out here with Hazard Hub. And we have a bunch of partners out there, Hazard Hub being one of them. Who have very quickly demonstrated in the last few years how easy it is to get good information and what you can do when you have that good information and so we're kind of following along with Bob and and that group but it's it's just really the mindset shift over the past five years has made it easier at least to have the discussion and we get a lot of phone calls these days from people who really think they need to move forward and I don't know if anybody's an a ice hockey fan, but there was a guy named Wayne Gretzky who was the best ice hockey player. <laughs> and he said he doesn't skate to where the puck is. He skates to where the puck is going. And there are a lot of groups who see where that puck is going and see where this technology is going, and they try to embrace that. So it makes it a, an easier process.
1: Do you feel that there's been a sort of fundamental change in the curiosity of the insurance industry. You know, in other words, I think that these things are quite difficult to sell, whereas I suspect I sense post-pandemic more of a digital world there's a greater openness to explore better ways of doing things. Are you, are you riding that wave?
2: Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a greater curiosity. I think there's also a greater separation from those who are doing well and those who aren't following along and those that, you know, that aren't capturing that market.
1: Brilliant. Todd, you're a great friend of ours. Thank you very much for sponsoring everything. And uh, you've got to stay here because you're going to take the microphone and you're going to be the next inquisitor.
2: Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> so, when fresh, you provide data, deep data on structures in the UK. So, you give banks, insurance companies, mortgage holders, deep data on all the structures they
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way to think of it is it's everything that's above the building, the building itself underneath it. So geospatially, geologically, legally, anything you need to know about something, you can have it in real time. There's billions of data items and then lenders or insurers or whatever you come and ask us. um, I'm about to insure a thing. What is this and what should I know about it before I put my money where my mouth is?
2: And you actually were one of the last people I visited in London before the COVID fall down. Yeah, that's right. From that time, that's like 19 months or so, you know, how has that affected you? How has it affected WinFresh?
3: On a business level, we've been really lucky. More and more businesses have to do things without people. And that had meant because there's disconnect that they wanted to get third-party data in or they wanted to work on their processes. They just said, right, we've got to get these projects done. So one of the things that we did was, you know, post Grenfell. There have been questions about what the exterior wall cladding is on various buildings. So we got into bed with uh, e and then worked out all of the buildings in the UK that were above a given height and then did Google Earth searches with their 610 surveyors who were sitting at home and couldn't go out and look at them and worked out a, a database of all of the buildings that are clad and what type of cladding they have. So it was trying to take downtime and make it useful. So, the, no, lockdown was unusually productive for us.
2: On the U.S. side of it, they pretend they have some of that data. They pretend they know these things. But mm-hmm. in your case, you, mean, you know things like heating systems. You mm-hmm. know deep details of all these buildings that are out there. And one of the things you told me, if you live within a certain range of a church or certain oh, yeah. churches in, Insurance. in town you could be liable as a homeowner for what happens to that yeah, church. Yeah,
3: yeah. that's a sort of weird historical artifact. Yeah, if you live in a catchment area of a given church where the church grounds were marked out at a point in time and if there's a damage to the church, you as the homeowner are responsible for it. Yeah.
2: Does everybody know that?
3: What you need to be able to do as an insurer or an MGA or whatever you, is look at an actual artifact set and say, what do you know is true? So we publish everything that we know is true on an API, so you can go and look it up. Um, and yeah, there are billions of data items. You hit an address, and you might have two, 3,000 data points come back at you. And then you've got to figure out what's useful. You know, that's the tricky bit. Sure.
2: The other part of this is, you know, there's certain different things that are happening. There's the climate change possibility. Mm-hmm. There's ESG investing. And so, like, every day, realistically, for carriers and for people in this business of insurance, you're trying to guess where that risk is going. Is any of that affecting what you have? Yeah. How can you help?
3: There's two things that are constantly being asked about in the climate space, which is, A, do you know what will change in a given area over a period of time? So whether it's soil elasticity or rainfall increase or likelihood of flood or any of that sort of fairly normal, easy-to-calculate stuff. But we're also being asked... The thing that I'm ensuring, what is it made of? Uh, So when you've got government push that says, look, you have to go and build more greenhouses out of green materials, and the challenge you have with greenhouses and green materials is when they get wet, they kind of need replacing. So you're incentivizing people to make stuff that's not particularly resilient but is very, very uh, environmentally friendly. Whereas you look around here, this would not be considered an environmentally friendly building, but you can get a brick wet and it'll dry out relatively quickly. So your risk is... Am I meeting a future climate challenge in terms of management towards carbon efficiency, or am I meeting a future climate challenge in terms of resilience to, to weather? And they're not necessarily the same thing.
2: That's yeah. good. Um, but, you know, with all the, the different things that Wenfresh has, can it mm. be overwhelming? A client comes to you and says, how do I get this ingested? What do I want to do?
3: No, because you have two customer types. You've either got the guys that come asking for ingredients, and that's all they want, or you get people who turn up saying, I want the cake. So they the analogy being they give us their their book and they say these are the ones we've had losses on, these ones seem to be okay, why are those ones lossy? What can you see that we can't see? And we work that out and then say, okay, so the key things that are causing those to be lossier than these are ingredients A, B, and C, and those are the things that you need in order to price something. And it's not the obvious stuff. One of the businesses we're working with, we discovered that the presence and multiple presence of radiators in a building... Cause more internal leakage in the building. Who knew? Who knew? When you had boxes of water all <laughs> around the house. But that was the point. That once you knew yeah. that, then as long as you could calculate that piece of information, then you, you know, now you're you're in a better place. So it's how do I know what it is? Does that really matter or who cares? And okay, now that I know what it is and I know that I should care about it, can you keep telling me about it in real time so that I can either make a decision to keep going with those kind of things or drop them from the business?
2: Or or even price. Or price them appropriately, yeah. I've been told that you can get out of here and that we need to get off the stage. Matthew has kicked off the guest host. And uh, so thank you, Matthew. How we do?
0: Well, we talked to a lot of data and technology providers, but we're also speaking to many of the large insurers around the world to find out what they actually need from that data. Olivia Ichiva works at Convex and joined us to talk about what data is important to the company for property underwriting and what she found out when she went out to look for who's doing that and what they're offering.
4: Convex was founded by Stephen Catlin and Paul Brand. Uh, We write business from both London and Bermuda, uh, insurance and reinsurance across property, casualty, and specialty lines. Um, and when we were set up, we were set up to be an insurer for the future. Our vision is underpinned by three pillars, and one of the pillars uh, is around making better decisions with data and technology, which is very um, important in this particular event. In terms of our data strategy and in terms of property, Uh, we have been focusing on the huge amount of data that we receive from our brokers. We have been looking at ways in which we can bring in that data, ingest it and cleanse it in a more automated fashion um, rather than in the past, which is done quite manually. And that has huge benefits for being able to provide quicker quotes for our brokers um, and also additional insight on the data that we currently get. Um, And then the second area that we've been focusing at Convex is around building our data and tech architecture to be able to take advantage of the uh, data um, enrichment that we are going to be hearing about tonight. There are three areas that our underwriters are interested in, TIV, so total insured values, construction data and validation for that. And then the final one is around flood data.
0: You mentioned in passing, you're getting great data from brokers. I, I, I think uh, sometimes people feel the data's not there and that's a problem in itself. But it sounds like what you're saying is the data is there, but actually there's the a bit of work to be able to organize it and es- extract what you need. Is that, is that right?
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, we get a lot of data and being able to bring that into one platform uh, in an automated manner has huge benefits. Our brokers provide us with total insured values at the moment, uh, but that is on an annual basis, and that's often prior to the inception of the policy, so there can be changes that take place after the policy is incepted. There was four vendors um, that we spoke to that are focusing on TIV and being able to offer the ability to validate your broker's information. And... um, some quite exciting areas, such as some vendors going directly to the source, to the client, um, which has you know, really exciting um, potential opportunities to be able to get data not annually but quarterly. And you know, ideally, the dream would be real time.
0: The updated nature of the data. There's, we've been looking at, you know, for opportunities or where underwriters can use more dynamic data coming in. Are you finding, and is this something that Convex is looking at, where? There are opportunities for underwriting that's based on more real-time data, maybe not literally real-time, but certainly more frequent than, than once a year.
4: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think there is. Um, you also, in terms of rating, you tend to rate an account on an annual basis. So there is also that important notion. But from an exposure management perspective, being able to have updated data, um, as you said, in more real time, has huge advantageous benefits. So yeah.
0: And, and just on this. In, total insured value. How did you find the quality of, of that kind of information? Because I think often people confuse the building value with the replacement cost. If you've got a commercial building and that commercial building burns down or gets knocked down or blown away, of course, you don't rebuild it as it would have been when it was originally built. You actually build a brand new building. So your replacement cost is actually based on what you can build on that spot, not what the building might be worth. But is, that, is the data out there to that level of sophistication, or what are you finding as you dug into this, that, that actually there's a lot of data that you might get data from the brokers, but actually you need to do quite a lot of work to be able to really figure out what you actually want to use for underwriting?
4: I think that it's sufficient for rating purposes but we want to go and many of our market practitioners want to go that next level further and um, it would be great to be able to validate the data that we get from our brokers with third parties additionally add um, external data sets that might you know make our ratings maybe slightly different so for instance in the flood data and um, some of the 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 data that they're providing such as floor elevation is really exciting because at that moment in time we don't have that from an underwriting perspective and that's an area that a lot of flood um, data uh, vendors are working on um, getting that to us.
0: Thank you, Levis. We have actually released a report on location intelligence data, but uh, it was a pleasure to actually talk to you and understand what you want. Now, so thank you for sharing, um, sometimes tantalisingly, what you've been looking for, but giving us an insight into what a a new uh, and successful and growing organisation is looking for. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Archipelago was founded in 2018 and has raised $60 million. It's tackling the property information problem in a new way, working directly with the large commercial property owners themselves. Now, I recommend my full podcast interview with Hemant Shah, CEO of Archipelago, episode 145 in July this year. But Anthony Siggers, his co-founder, joined us on stage, bringing his perspective as a former broker.
5: Olivia was being very generous to the brokers. Um, I, was, I come from the broking space and and I know for a fact that the data the brokers get and give to the insurers is really quite terrible. Um, and for the insurers in the room, I'm sure I'll agree with that. So, but as a broker, we, we would blame the client. We, we'd have these beautiful spreadsheets, you know, with lots of colours, and we'd send them out to the client and say, you know, please fill this in. And then it would come back kind of half complete, and what was there was often inaccurate. So we kind of went, oh, you know, well, why is that? Why are clients struggling to get this data in the first place at all, right? So, so when we set up to, you know, get going with the archipelago, we, we said, okay, let's spend some time with the clients themselves. And we, when we went for the biggest and the best. you know, We started out with a, a bunch of foundation partners, we called them, who are some of the, the largest owners and operators of property in the world. And kind of did this exploration upstream to say, you know, where is the golden source of this information that we're all looking for? And we rock up at the, the risk management department, someone like Prologis, who um, you know, has the largest portfolio of warehouses around the world. They, you know, They host Amazon, amongst many others, um, four and a half thousand buildings. And and the risk management department is six people, right? And and they get this spreadsheet from the broker saying, you know, can you please fill this out? And they go, well, how do I fill this out? I don't know where the data is. And what they would do is then kind of break that spreadsheet up into a bunch of other spreadsheets. Worst case I've seen actually is a client that broke it up into 600 subsheets, right? And then would email that around internally to people they thought would know the answers. So we spent a lot of time just kind of figuring this out. And, And it turns out that actually there are these pockets of information within these organisations that are just previously untapped, but they do exist. And and we'd find things like, you know, actually Prologis, it has an asset registry called Yardi, a system which has a lot of information. It'd have a leasing system. It'd have a a roof management system. Um, They would build buildings or they would buy them If they built them, they would have construction documentation. They'd have structural drawings, architectural drawings. If they're buying them, they'd have some form of due diligence document, a PCA, for example, it's called in the US. So we basically identified and mapped out all these different sources, then started working with the clients to unlock them. So we built technology to tap into those systems, built technology to use AI to scrape data from the documentation, so on our platform, we get the data, and then we have links to the underlying source. You can see where it's come from, and therefore you can trust it. So
0: who's the client? Is, is the corporation paying you to go and share their data, or are the insurers paying you to go and get access, or maybe the brokers are paying in the middle?
5: Our absolute focus is on the end clients. We work with, let's say, many of the largest property owners in the world, um, people like Prologist, Blackstone, JLL, um, you know, etc., and they are paying us directly because they need... This information, not just for the procurement of insurance, but actually for many other use cases. And we mentioned climate resiliency, but you have to know what are your buildings made of in order to be able to anticipate the effect that climate change may have. Right. So there are other reasons why the risk managers need this information, but then the brokers can connect to that and the insurers can connect to it too. So everyone is working off the same information shared across the value chain.
0: The real-time data bid that Livia is talking about, does that therefore give you the ability, if not real, real-time, at least more frequently than the annual update to the data that the insurers can, can tap into? So they're not you know, doing a renewal with data that's then 12 months before that and so probably two years out of date?
5: All our clients are now using the platform to maintain their data effectively in real-time insurers can connect to that in real time but actually they tend not to. They tend to want it on a quarterly basis. So that, that's the most frequent we're doing it right now. Um, they could connect in real time. In fact, we have clients like Prologis that have, you know, IoT sensors in their buildings which will enable insurers to actually understand what is going on inside a building at any point in time. For example, inventory levels. No insurer yet, though, unfortunately, is capable of, of consuming that data.
0: In what, two and a half, three years have been going I think a quite impressive number of both underwriters using this and, can, and... Buildings on your, I guess, on your system. What, what are the numbers for both underwriters and buildings? Um, so we
5: have we have five trillion dollars of TIV. That's not the, the purchase price. That's the actual you know, total insured value. Um, that's about 600,000 buildings. Um, over a thousand
0: underwriters connected to those data flows. Okay, a thousand underwriters. How do they actually get access to the archipelago information?
5: When a client goes to market, and Prologis, for example, go out to 120 different markets around the world, um, there will be an email link sent out by the broker. That email link will link you through into the platform. You can choose just to immediately take the data out in model-ready format, so You don't have to go through the cleansing process. Or you can choose to take more of a deep dive and actually start interrogating the information on platform. For the insurers, that is free. So it's paid for effectively by the clients.
0: Excellent. Well, Anthony, thank you very much. Now, it's always fascinating to get an insurer and its technology partner on stage together to find out what they're up to. And coming up now is John Newbury, head of digital experience in the UK for Zurich Insurance and Jonathan Jackson, CEO of Provisico. Our
6: particular uniqueness is the fact that in the UK right now, the Environment Agency uh, is able to handle coastal and, and river flooding. Unfortunately, they don't provide any real uh, warnings for surface water we came about because the uh, the cabinet office and environment agency and met office approached Loughborough university and um, professor yu there and said can you help us find a solution for surface water flood in 2019 provisico was spun out of the university uh, and we are uh, providing yes surface water flood forecasts which is generating a new forecast every 3 hours projecting out up to 48 hours ahead and literally be able to forecast down at an individual property level, so 25-metre resolution, to enable people to take actionable um, um, against that, that, that risk of flood.
0: John, everybody lives in the UK, and anybody that follows the news or is involved in insurance knows what an issue flood is. But when you look at it from a Zurich perspective, what are the areas that you're particularly concerned about and where you see you can take advantage of digital solutions like Profisico or others?
7: Extreme weather, which flood is a huge part of, has been the top risk in terms of likelihood for the last, well, since 2017. And the one thing that I think we started to realise is, as an insurer, looking internally into our own processes, we were looking at how to mitigate risk after the event, which is totally valid but is a particular perspective of how to look at that issue. And I think when we were fortunate enough to get introduced to Jonathan and Provisico and the team, we started to realize that there's, there's a whole other way of thinking about this, which is how we, how we think about how we actually prevent the loss in the first place, which traditionally has always been more on a consultancy-type basis. But now how can we actually use digital technologies, you know, actual automated processes to predict... Flooding in advance and warn customers, clients, and actually try and stop the, from, the, the risk from happening, or, or not even necessarily stop it, but mitigate it at least to a certain extent, and take a slightly different perspective to that approach.
0: Jonathan, back to you. Uh, in terms, because it is very specifically about the flood alerts and the flood warning, and you mentioned about the surface water, not so much on the coastal. Um, and rivers. So from a practical point of view, what would an organisation like Zurich or an insurer do once they get your flood alerts? How do you find, maybe there's some examples you can give of how people are actually reducing the loss once they get an alert from you?
6: As part of working with government, we've got to know BT, and um, BT is Zurich's customer. When we did the trial with Zurich, we actually got BT involved as well. Um, and BT's uh, one of those organisations who is, uh, is, is quite um, interesting when it comes to flood. They, they have a challenge, which is they have 3.5 million assets in the UK at risk of flood. BT suffers from the fact that actually one centimetre of flood water is a problem because they have manhole covers. Um, and so you're literally going from one centimetre of flood being a potential risk all the way up to the risk that they have in exchange buildings. And in exchange going down... It's probably going to cost them in the region of tens to hundreds of millions of pounds. It is a massive problem. Um, and then they have another problem as well, which is around uh, false alarms as well. So if they respond to a flood warning and it proves to be false, they send out engineers, they put up flood uh, defences, and it costs them about £5,000 each time. And they're spending millions on false alarms. And so when we started to work with them, one of the things that we really benefited from was that BT really understood flood. They understood how to manage the data that they were getting from the Environment Agency. So when they started to take our flood warnings, we were able to just work with their existing process. And they literally put it through a database and they work out what their risk is depending upon where the flood is and in terms of their, their, lo- their knowledge of that particular location. Uh, and they were really delighted with the, with the results. They could see that actually we were performing to the same level as the Environment Agency um, at severe flood warnings, uh, which was which was fantastic. Uh, and you know, one of the things that they've they've really caught on to is the fact that that we were not only picking up surface water flooding, but also the Environment Agency only handles the main rivers, and so small rivers, streams are not covered by the EA but we were picking that up for them as well. So we've filled a huge gap in, in BT's risk profile.
0: Once they get their alert coming through for you, what are they actually doing to be able to reduce the flood loss?
6: Sure, yes. Yeah, so they're literally able to get engineers going to central stores, picking up uh, flood defence equipment. That could be barriers, could be sandbags, pumps. Uh, and going to that location to try to protect against the floodwaters coming in. If they've arrived to the stage where floodwaters are starting to come in, they'll put the pumps in place to pump the water out.
0: Okay, cool. and so, so, John, when you, from your point of view, when you look at what Provisico does, is this part of what you do as Zurich in terms of like one of the services you offer to your customers? So it's sort of marketing or it's just the popular get, or is there something a little bit more related to the underwriting that you want to bring into this as well?
7: It worked out brilliantly that we were able to satisfy the BT demand and through the pilot really try and prove the concept. But at the same time, we had to always think about, well, how would this be applied in a, in a more mid-market scenario or, or with customers who, who don't have those same kind of sophisticated flood response programs? And actually, the, the, what you guys have with Provisico is, is a product that can work across... Across all kinds of scenarios. So from that point of view, it's, it was a huge success. But how do we take a more proactive approach to that? And I think services like what Provisico and Jonathan provide in terms of that proactive approach is, is the real key to be able to unlock some of that flood resilience piece. Whereas a lot of, a lot of people I think are still focusing on the consultancy of how do you deal with flood events after the fact. So I, I, I think this is a, a, a real niche that, that Provisico have in this space.
0: When you're looking at organisations like Provisico or any, any technology partner, and, mm-hmm. and you've got to make a decision about are you going to work with them or not, I mean, you can do a certain amount of testing, but from a Zurich perspective, or to you personally, how do you get to the point where you go, well, we've done a pilot, but if it didn't flood, because it did enough, rain enough, you know, maybe you didn't get yep. enough data. Well, at what point do you know, right, we're going to commit to working with this organisation versus you kind of keep going, they keep going on and on and on, you know, keep proving it? <laughs> it's a great point,
7: actually, because we ran our pilot in Q1 of this year, which was a massively benign period for flooding. So we didn't actually have too many floods to test it against. But, but I also think there's, it's, I, I say leap of faith, but I don't mean that. It's, it's not as severe as that. Provisico, I think, are are really one of the few companies that we've come across at least that that are are actually really paying attention to that pre-event side. Anything that can reduce the risk or the potential impact of flooding is worth looking at. Whatever the potential liabilities and so on and so forth may be, if it's going to prevent, even to a smallest percentage, the impact of a flood risk when we know flood is on the rise has to be worth looking at. And I think that's, that's the trade-off you have to, to take, and that's each insurer's decision to take in that respect. But I think that's the position we're taking, especially around the way Zurich is setting itself up as an organisation.
0: I'm assuming also with the increasing focus on measuring climate change risk and, and actually now increasingly from the Bank of England, and we're seeing it through ESG from investors, actually being able to attribute actions to the things that are going to reduce the impact that is also is a, it works both ways you're actually being able to reduce it and you can demonstrate that to your the people that are looking at what you're doing
7: yeah 100 and 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 the other the other thing that's super attractive to us is is it's not just about loss mitigation it's not just about money i mean zurich in the uk specifically is looking at multiple different areas and we see multiple different angles to this right so it's it's not just commercial losses and potential mitigation of that it's also in the retail space it's also in the personal line space it's also looking at municipal we have a huge municipal portfolio so so how do we deal with that housing associations looking at not just how do we reduce claims losses but how do we get people out of harm's ways when when floods are coming so the 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 scope for the benefit that this kind of service could provide is is enormous to us. And it isn't just about the financials. It's about the the broader
0: community support as well. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank Thank you. Well, that brought us to the break. And if you join us at one of our live events, we do give you 30 minutes off in the middle and even provide some light refreshments. First up in the second half, Robin Mertens is interviewing Anthony Peake, founder and CEO of Intelligent AI.
8: You're the founder. What, what was the reason you started Intelligent AI? Myself and teams have built the risk management systems for, um, for AXA, for QBE, for Excel Catlin, for RSA, for MS Amlin, for Aviva. I've seen a lot of systems that store data but don't provide intelligent insight. They're not actually driving down the risk. They're just helping people to do admin. And with the, with the sort of the new mediums of AI, of satellite, of IoT, of real-time data, I just felt that we could do so much more with that information. Insurers survey about 5 to 10% of commercial properties and have scant or not brilliant data on the other 95% of the portfolio that they survey. If you're a property underwriter and you're using intelligent AI, what insights are you getting? We're delivering digital twins of risk. So we're bringing together about 300 different data sets globally. Um, We are creating a digital model of all of the risks. We map that data into COPE, so Construction, Occupancy, Protection and Environment, the language insurers use. Um, We've got an AI platform that reads 60-page unstructured risk reports, so the 5 to 10% of properties they go to, they write a 60-page report, most underwriters and insurance companies don't have the time to read the 60-page report, so they miss a lot of data in there. So we, we suck all that data out, and we use that to enrich. We use satellite data as well, both for viewing the properties, complex properties, ports, etc., uh, but also for loss adjustment. So uh, we, we did a, um, a piece of work recently for an insurer on the uh, Miami property that collapsed. Within six hours of that property collapsing, we had satellite images before and after. We'd, com- we'd calculated what the loss was. Okay, they eventually knocked it down. But we'd also been able to go into the local mu- municipality and pull out the engineer's report, and we had information on the concrete slab for the pool, the angle of it, the seals were, were long past their life, the underground car park concrete, w- and metal was corroding. So to be able to get that level of insight within six hours... of of an incident obviously I would prefer if we prevented the incident but we're seeing more of these incidents the sale apartment in in Milan recently Um, again these are these are risks where the information is there and we can mitigate them given what you do
1: are you loved I mean are the insurance industry going this is exactly what we need right now or are you still sort of struggling to make the case
8: the insurance industry has woken up. We've been fortunate to get a lot of investment from Innovate UK and, and private investment recently. Um, we've also been fortunate to go through Lloyd's Lab. And we had eight mentors from some of the biggest insurers. And they re- they are beginning to get it. They really get it.
1: What lies ahead in 2022
8: for you? What, what's uh, on the roadmap? So we've just completed... Um, three big implementations. Of, of, uh, where the, the latest one was 20,000 global locations we built digital twins for. <clears throat> we're now about to, with that project, about to go into building 4 million um, global uh, digital twins. So, you know, we're scaling up the platform. Um, we are just about to kick off uh, an Innovate UK-funded pro- project, and we're also in discussions with the European Space Agency to do a lot around satellite analysis as well. Um, and the middle of next year, we're going to do our C-Day funding round.
1: Thank you very much. I think we'll be hearing more about digital twins in 2022. Watch out for the Intertech London report when I fully understand what it is.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Robin. Thank you.
0: Back to a US theme now, as Robin speaks to Jay Gentry, Global Head of Insurance for Safegraph, Jay refers to BI in here, which if you're not familiar with, is business interruption insurance.
9: We are an ingredient. People talked about ingredients tonight. We are an ingredient, and our ingredient is all about bringing truth to the physical world. And we define the physical world as any location that's non-residential. To us, a point of interest is is a location that's not not a residence. So it could be a transit stop. It could be a, a, a charging station. It could be a commercial building. We... Take thousands and thousands of sources to curate that, to come up with a lot of veracity around the accuracy of those said locations. Anybody who's in the commercial underwriting space recognizes that that's a challenge, getting really good data um, around a type of business, um, where it's located, open and closed hours, all that's very difficult to do. And then on top of that, we also overlay foot traffic data, so footfall. Um, so we are managing uh, a foot traffic mobile panel of around 40 million users on a monthly basis, weekly and monthly basis. And then we connect those two together. So we're connecting the foot traffic data with the point of interest data to give a lot of insight um, to insurers. How do you capture the foot traffic data? Is that like off people's mobile phones? Uh, we are capturing it from applications from the mobile phones um, or we call them in America cell phones.
1: What's the application from an insurance industry
9: point of view? The first one is general liability, which is kind of this, this old, you know, insurance product that people don't think much about, but in fact actually has some interesting applications. So typically for general liability, for those of you who've written it before, you look at a couple of things. You look at maybe revenue of the, of the, of the actual business, and you look at the square footage of the building. The reality is that when you look at, um, slip, trip, and fall scenarios, People's physical presence actually matters in that scenario. That's that's what's going to happen when someone you get a lot of people in a building, potentially. And so foot traffic is actually a really strong proxy to that underwriting risk. The other one is the opportunity to use um, POI point of interest data and foot traffic data around business interruption insurance. So we've seen an explosion of BI, um, the wrong kind of BI, in insurance since the pandemic, of course. And so understanding historical uh, people movement versus what's currently happening. Um, we have data that goes back you know, to 2018, so we have good data on 2018, 2019, 2020 was a, obviously a disaster, and then 21 we have, we have current data as well. So having that historical data with the current data gives you a chance to do that. And are insurers embracing this? Once people understand that this data is available and that it is it's actually safe to use, um, one of the things that we do is we anonymize our foot traffic data to the POI from the census block group. Um, so that's like about 500 to about 3,000 homes in the United States, um, or Canada. There's no personal information that's transferred. So once insurance companies are, are, assured that that's okay, um, they certainly are excited about using it. And I think that the, um, the opportunity is pretty, is pretty good.
1: You started in the U.S. Have you, have you plans now to extend
9: beyond your base? We do have data in, in Great Britain. Um, we have data in Canada and the US. And then one of the things that SafeGraph is really good at is curating and managing brand-level data. So you think about Pizza Hut, McDonald's, um, Burger King. So we actually follow those brands around the globe. So we have, I think it's right around 300 brands that we curate over 188 countries. So as we grow with our brands, we will also grow the other data sets to kind of complement that. Um, So that's a a really good focus for us.
1: You've come a long way. Your time is done. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming.
0: Really appreciate it. Another U.S. visitor, Bob Frady, co-founder and CEO of Hazard Hub, recently just acquired by Guidewire.
10: Basically, we tell you all the bad stuff that can happen to a property. Before you ever see it, just type in an address, give me a lat lawn there's the risk. What do
1: you think about Hazard Hub uh, that you do that makes you different?
10: Three things that we think were different. The first is that we're an API company from the get-go. Uh, no tying systems together. It's all API delivered. Uh, the second is that we made the data comprehensive. And the third is that we made it affordable. You know, th- The point of looking at this data is not after the loss happened. It's at the point of underwriting. And if you want to do that now with existing providers, it is eye-wateringly expensive. Data should be like a television set. It should get cheaper and more refined every year. Turn that into
1: insurance uh, language for me. In other words, give me examples of the way that insurers take that data and use it in some way that we would all kind of know and appreciate here.
10: Our, Our business is in three buckets. The first bucket was the commercial insurance market because they carry flood risk. And what we saw from commercial insurance is that half of the risk of the losses on that property are from where that property is located. It doesn't matter whether it's a bomb factory or a room full of lawyers. It's where the property is physically located. And the risk of those two things is not necessarily dissimilar. Uh, the, so when we look at losses, really, location is a big part of the story. Yet you don't see it. You know, when we were part of Lloyd's Lab, it was amazing how much risk passed through Lloyd's without people having any idea of what the risk of specific properties was. I'm like, why is this happening? This is ridiculous. I mean, you guys are taking all these bets because you are taking all the bets, yet you're not getting the data that you need to say that this one might be a bad bet.
1: Lloyd's Lab, you're you're part of the alumni. Was it a good experience?
10: It was a fantastic experience. It's fundamentally different than what U.S. – Domicile carriers have to face because you're not taking the stuff that they want; you're taking the stuff that they don't, and and that's a that's a different market and a great market for us, and gave us a lot of a lot of belief that ours was a right tool if you're writing U.S. insurance. And then tell me about the Guidewire acquisition. We grew 60% last year; we're growing 80% this year. So it wasn't like we needed to sell, but at a certain point, you have to grow up as a company. And there's lots of ways to do that. You can raise a pile of money and give away a bunch of equity. You can do it a lot of different ways. And we thought for us and the founders of the company, because that was the most important constituency, that the best way was to go with a powerhouse company like Guidewire. Now, the value to the customer is that one of the big reasons why we don't work with some of the largest carriers out there is because it's so difficult to get this data inside of a core system. And one of the things that we wanted to eliminate was the friction of that integration of the core system, which we'll do with the next release of Guidewire, where the data will be in the system inherently, automatically. You just have to turn it on. And then uh, what do you think? We're looking ahead to 2022. I really want to get into 3D flood modeling, where we take one-meter resolution, we contour the land, and then show you all the flood risk for that to introduce some level of climate change data into our API as well, so you can make your own decisions about what you think the impact will be from climate change.
1: Bob, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to have you, and thanks for coming all that way.
10: Oh, you're welcome.
0: For our final guest, I was back on stage talking to Anton de Benoit and Laurent Delaporte, co-founders of Alphins.
11: It has been said tonight, it has been explained, but the data which is shared by the risk manager with the brokers and along the insurance value chain is not always optimal. What we've seen in energy and in general in certain uh, areas of the value chain and in certain classes of risks is that basically it's very difficult for the underwriter to make a decision which is uh, fact-based because there is in the same time too much data or too many risks and not enough data per risk and there is limited time and the formats in which the data is provided is messy or too diverse across the different uh, sedents or clients so basically you have bunches of spreadsheets you have two days and you need to make a decision and uh, in these cases that the the, the analysis which is performed by the by the underwriter is partial or limited or it has been said tonight over conservative because you miss uh, the, the granularity in the data so that's what we wanted to address what we allow reinsurers or our clients in general to do with all is very simple things, you know. They can digitize their risk. They have the risk recognized by all things, enriched with data, not amazing data which have been discussed. The reinsurers worry what they look at is aggregation. So that's the question which we allow them to answer. It's what's your worth? aggregation scenarios, what you should be worried about, what you should look at when you uh, write a policy. And Laurent, you were on, on the
0: Lloyd's lab uh, a couple of years ago, I think now. Did, did you, when you went into the lab, did you, you had a, presumably an idea about this missing piece in the, in the energy, but what did you learn from the lab? And, and I, I'm assuming you actually found some of your early clients
11: there as well. What we learned in the lab was that our initial idea had to be changed What we thought originally was that uh, better data had to be provided to energy insurers so they make better decisions. And uh, in particular, data uh, regarding uh, accumulation. To which aggregation scenario does this trick contribute to? Okay, it's a a simple question but very important for Energy insurers, and in particular, energy reinsurers. But what we saw is that there was a lot of data around. There are data providers for energy uh, uh, platforms, but the main challenge for insurers, and in a certain extent for insurers as well, is to match the data with the risk. You have 40,000 risks on a messy um, Excel sheet, or... And, and, and you have data about the platforms. How do you make a decision? You need to map the data with the risk and transform this enriched data into answers to simple questions such as, oh, what's my worst scenario? And this is uh, what we discovered in the Lloyd's lab. You have to enrich. It's not enough to provide data. You have to match it with risk when you have too many risks to manage in a limited amount of time. When I
0: first met you, I... I Assume that because you had a background in energy, you had access to data to do that enrichment, but I believe most of what you've done is actually just tidying up all these different ways of describing similar data entities and so the, the, it's less about bringing in additional data, you're actually just tidying up the messy data that is provided to insurers or reinsurers.
11: So we add value with the data we, we, we provide, uh, because it's very specific to aggregation, so for example, uh, uh, contingent business interruption, all these platforms are producing the same pipeline, so you should know immediately when you write this platform as part of a list of risks that it will contribute to a shutdown of this pipeline aggregation scenario. Okay. But you're right. That's not why uh, reinsurers have chosen all initially. It's because uh, what we have is uh, what we call a matching tool, People call it fuzzy matching, but I don't like it. It's far smarter than that. So it's a very smart risk recognition engine, which immediately match any of these 40,000 risks with uh, an installation which we have in our database and the data behind, and it does it in two seconds. So the big difference with before for reinsurers is that in the past, reinsurers, and I think insurers as well, They perform their aggregation after placement, okay, when they have the time. Before placement, it's done quickly on on some paper for their top risk. With all things, they receive the complex financial transfer structure. They receive their thousands of risk, and in three minutes, they have transformed it into a map of the world with their risk and statistics, which is fine, nice, but more importantly, they immediately know the incremental impact to their top aggregation scenario.
0: One of the things that's very impressive is when I asked you who your clients are, you said, well, look at your website. And so, I mean, it, I think that often speaks a lot to the confidence your clients have in you, and the fact that they can actually list their names. So I can have, actually you can read them out. Ms. Samlin, Transatlantic Re, Arch, Ariel, Chaucer. It's very impressive having been there in an organisation trying to solve this problem before. So congratulations to both of you and thank you for coming over to uh, to the UK to join us. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. If you want to find out more about joining us on stage, being featured in our reports and catching up with us each month as a Corp member, then please contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us Hello at instec.london london.